Let's turn to uh, Revelation chapter 19. We're moving right along. Revelation chapter 19. There is a need for us to understand what goes on in heaven. Not only now, we should understand what's going on in heaven, but especially when all things are coming to an end. All the things that we see with our eyes, all the things that we have known to be that which exists, like the earth and the sky and the planets and the universe. Peter tells us that uh, there's a day coming when the heavens and the earth shall pass away. with a fervent heat. And if this is going to take place in the near future, then we need to know where we're going to be. And Jesus made it very clear to us that if we believe in Him and we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, nothing can take us out of His hands And nothing can take us out of the Father's hands. And we are secure in the knowledge that when Jesus comes, as He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. What a hope we have. So we ought to be looking forward to heaven. We ought to be looking forward to His presence. We ought to be looking forward to being with Him for eternity. And I can tell you this. I don't know what it is about flesh. I don't know what it is about our weaknesses and all. But I don't know how it could be that when we come to know the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we could ever be bored in worshiping Him. (laughs) Some people get bored going to church. I'm not speaking about any of you here. Uh Uh-uh. But that sometimes happens. I'll have to say, I've been in other places where people are... When's this over? I go look back at that, that clock back there. I tell you, I'm, I am seriously, putting, seriously thinking about putting above that thing, remember Lot's wife. And she turned around and she turned into a pillar of salt. Yeah, don't be looking at the clock. So we get to chapter 19 now, and, and we've just gone through two very heavy-duty chapters dealing with the destruction of... Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and and of the abominations of all the earth. And securing as well our understanding that the Antichrist and all of what has followed Antichrist will also be destroyed. So, 
when we see in verse 1, as we want to read the text here, I'm going to read the first ten verses, then we're going to go back and look at the first six. But I want you to see this phrase, after these things. We've, we've studied that before in other uh, uh, chapters of the book of Revelation. And, and John says, after these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. So after these things, after this destruction of, of mystery Babylon. But not just that, and I'll show you that in a moment, or at least we'll talk about it. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Notice where we are again. A great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. I want you to say that with me. Alleluia. Ready? Alleluia. Say it again. Alleluia. It's spelled, transliterated uh, into from the Greek, but it's really a Hebrew word. Hallelujah. Well, you know, when you say hallelujah, it's closer to the, the Hebrew. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. And I want you to notice the possessive word, our God. You like that? You don't like it? I like it. He's our God. And we're His people. For true and righteous are His judgments, because He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And He has avenged on her the blood of His servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia. I want you to count how many times we see the word. Alleluia. That's the second time. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. There's a praise for the destruction of the great harlot. Isn't that interesting? And then in verse 4 it says, And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures, who we met back in chapter 4 a long time ago, these fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Let it be, praise the Lord. That's what it means. Amen, Alleluia means, let it be, praise the Lord. There's the third time. And then in verse 5 it says, Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, and those who fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, or for the Lord God, omnipotent reigns. There's the fourth. Four Alleluias. Let us be glad, and rejoice, and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now ask yourself, have you been called to the marriage supper of the Lamb? And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet and worship, uh, to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. This is an angel, obviously, that, he's, that is speaking to John. He says, I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus.
Got to finish the verse. Verse 10, last part. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. All right. You'll notice on this particular little slide here, the darkness and the light. We're still kind of there. Because there's a war that we're going to read about in chapter 19 as well. And so it's important to realize how John himself has been taken from darkness to the light of heaven, from heaven to the darkness of the world, from the world and its darkness back to heaven. Uh, This is where we are right now. Those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ have the promise of of salvation, the promise of heaven, the hope of salvation, the hope of heaven. But we live in a fallen world. And we see a lot of the darkness of the enemy who is still active, by the way, in this world. So in our studies of the book of Revelation so far, we we have seen now the judgment of God poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. The seven sealed judgments destroying a a fourth of the earth's population, as we studied a long, long time ago. The seven trumpet judgments unleashing a destruction upon a third of the population. More people will die the the more the the tribulation increases. And then it says, and by the time that we got, you know, that we get to the bold judgments, that we've already gone through all of those three judgments, the wrath of God was completed. It was completed at the end of that, uh, of, of those bold judgments. And it was signified by a statement, if you remember, it is done. It is done. In other words, the judgments, as they've been presented to John in prophecy and in vision, which means that everything that God has said about his judgments will come to pass. Therefore, there's still hope for people who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But nothing that man held on to is left anymore. Well, I say it in the past tense, but in, 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 in respect to the fact that we're looking at prophecy, that's the way it's going to be. Nothing that man can hold on to will be left anymore. And that which he has rejected is going to be that which judges man. If they reject Christ, it is Christ who's coming to judge. And we know that. In his first coming, he didn't, he didn't come for that reason. Because we, we know from John three sixteen and 17, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world the first time to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But he's coming a second time. And this is what needs to be understood and, and it is critical that we understand why he comes and, and, and what's going to take place when he does. Certainly there's salvation. Certainly there is rescue. And uh, there is not only for the church, but also for Israel, God's people, who are still at the very key and center of the Scriptures when it pertains to last day's prophecy. So as we begin the first part of Revelation 19, we now see this break in the judgment as the scene now shifts from earth to heaven. And as we peer into heaven, we see it filled with worship. We see heaven filled with worship, the worship of God. 
Now, the more we get into the last few chapters here, which we are now in, the last few chapters of the book of Revelation, the more we are going to see the extent to some degree for us, but we're going to see the the tremendous importance of worship before the throne of God. Which means that we shouldn't wait, but we should be getting ready for that when the time comes. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. The church is supposed to be worshiping God in a lot of different ways, not just in singing, but but we're supposed to be worshiping God by how we live, by what we say and what we do, how we act, you know, our thoughts. Everything pertains to worshiping God, or at least should. And from there, in heaven... We move to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we're going to deal with next week. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that we spent only that whole time on the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then followed by the Lord's return with His bride, the church, to put down the rebellion of man at the battle of Armageddon, which is yet to come at the end of this chapter. And finally, to establish His kingdom on the earth, which is another reason why Jesus is coming back. Now tonight we're going to look at this great feast with the Lord, well, not, not the feast itself, but we're going to look at the worship that, pre, uh, that precedes the, the, uh, the feast itself. And then we're going to look at, at the Mary Supper of the Lamb. Then we're going to close chapter 19 now by looking at the carnage of that great battle of Armageddon and the importance of understanding what, uh, uh, what it is and when it is and why it is. So all of this is going to prompt us uh, to ask a question. Would you rather have dinner with the Lord or would you rather be dinner for the birds of the earth? I think it's a fair question. Did you think about it? Would you rather have dinner with the Lord or be dinner for the birds of the earth? Because that's what we see is going to happen to those who reject Jesus. Therefore, I say, don't reject Jesus, but come to Christ. Come to the Lord. Get yourself right with God. This is what we will consider as we see these two meals being prepared. And and really for many people the choice will be theirs as to which meal they will partake of. You made a choice. Albeit that God already knew that. Whosoever will come, right? Yet when we come, we realize... Safe from the foundation of the world. Can we all understand that? I don't understand it. I just thank God for it. I thank God for it. So we get back here to verse 1. And it says, After these things, I heard a, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Now this phrase, after these things, as I mentioned, of course, deal with the, the first part of, of uh, I should say, the last part of what we already studied, which has to do with, with the uh, destruction of uh, Mystery Babylon, the great harlot, the mother of harlots and, and of the abominations of the earth. But also, what we need to add to this thought of after these things, because it, it just flows from everything that we have studied in the book of Revelation so far, so, after these things, looks back over the first 18 chapters, actually, of the book of Revelation. 
Because it is after the vision of the risen Lord in chapter 1. It is after the revealing of the church age in in chapters 2 and 3. It is after the rapture and the reward of the church in chapters 4 and 5. It is after the wrath of the seven-year great tribulation period on the earth. And this brings us now in this chapter to Jesus coming forth with His wedded bride, which is the church. Chapter 19 has a, a few different groups of people that are shouting out praises unto the Lord. Now, heaven is a place of worship. I've already stated that, but I'm going to drive it home to you a lot. I'm going to hammer it to you. Heaven is a place of worship. But now for some, that could be very disturbing. And what do I mean by that? And I've already kind of alluded to it, but, well, to some people, worship, as I said earlier, is boring. Worship is boring. I mean, it is that time before the message is given. It is a way to set your watch so by, uh, by, uh, so you can enter the church service as the message begins. Oh, how wrong that is. How wrong that is. Because you see, worship is born out of a relationship. Worship is born out of a relationship and you can usually tell how a relationship is going by the words that are spoken about another and the actions that are done toward them. For instance, those of you that are married, your spouses, for instance, take for example, your spouses. Do you have to force yourself to say nice things about him or her? Do you have to be forced to say sweet, beautiful words? Do you? I hope not. Do you have to force yourself to come home at night from work? I hope not. Within a marriage relationship there is love, or at least there should be, and that love is manifested in the things that we do and the things that we say. Now the same is true with our relationship to the Lord. We are so in love with Him. We should be. But I'm going to speak in a way that I want to be confident that this is how you feel or how you believe in your own heart. But we are so in love with God. We are so in love with Jesus that we want to tell Him that and we want to tell others about that. We don't keep that hidden. We are so in love with Him. We're so in love with God. We're so in love with Jesus that that if we had pictures of Him in our wallet, we'd show it to everyone. Right? Right? By the way, did you know that you do have pictures of him? From Genesis to Revelation, this is your wallet. See if you can fit it back there. And you want to show pictures of Jesus? Open up the Gospels. Because all of those pictures 
are found in the Word of God. How often have I talked to you about the pictures that we see in the New Test? I mean, in the Old Testament, in in the Hebrew Scriptures, the pictures of God's redemption through the sacrifice of His only begotten Son. Picture after picture after picture that has gone, that has even come into the very celebration of Passover of the Jewish people. And they don't see it. But we've seen it. The bread. The cup. The celebration of Passover shouts about Jesus. So you see, if you cannot worship God here on this earth, what makes you think you're going to love to worship Him in heaven? I think it's a personal question we better ask ourselves. And don't forget that we are called to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, I know a lot of people think that that just, that just refers to, you know, noise in the sense that a lot of people say, well, I don't, you know, I can't sing very good and all of that. So that's the noise that you make. It's a joyful noise. Right? Don't think that we've asked you to come in here with a, with a perfect voice. I have heard a lot of joyful noises here. And most of them are pretty loud. And good, and and good. A lot of them are really good. And a lot of them are just joyful noises. And that's good. It's the way it should be. As a matter of fact, consider this. And by the way, I'm going to use the King James Version of the Bible uh, because I want you to see that it's where it says joyful noise. In the New King James, it says a joyful shout. And sometimes that's what it sounds like too. But it says in Psalm 66, verse 1, Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Now, I want you to notice, we should be making that noise, but the command is for all creation. Make a joyful noise, all you land. Sing forth the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Psalm 81, verse 1. Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Oh, that we should, we should put this up every Sunday morning. Right before we start worship. Here's the instruction. Sing aloud unto God our strength. And make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Sing loud. Make a noise. Rejoice in the Lord. Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. These are commands. These aren't suggestions. I have not yet found a verse of Scripture anywhere where it says, Whisper unto the Lord. Whisper. Yes, He can hear you. Yes, I know God can hear us. But we're not told to whisper. We're told to sing loud. Verse 2 said, Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. Psalm 98 verse 4, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Notice again, it isn't just us as believers that are to make that noise. The commandment is to all of creation. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. I am always fascinated by those who really take this to heart. And even if they don't have a very good voice, they make a loud noise. And sometimes it's scary. But it's okay. 
Because God hears the beauty of it. Because it doesn't come from the vocal cords, it comes from the heart. You got it? Comes from right here. Sing praise. Oh, we're not done. 90, uh, verse 98, verse 6. Psalm 98, verse 6. With trumpets and sound of cornet, make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. And with instruments of praise. So may we have a heart like, da- like King David in regards to the worship of God. Many of these verses, of course, are, were written by David himself. And may the Lord put those new songs into our hearts. And like David, may we desire the presence of the Lord. May we desire the presence of the Lord. Not just when we gather together. This is a beautiful time to do that. But listen, don't you just like when you're alone and you just want to worship the Lord and nobody's there to hear all those wonderful notes of yours when you make a joyful noise? And you can just sing like in the shower. And you, you know, you might scare your next door neighbor, but that's okay. You're giving praise to God. And He sees the heart. And to Him, it's beautiful. To Him, it's beautiful. So getting back to verse 1, the Apostle John tells us that this first group of people in heaven that are worshiping the Lord, he, he calls them a great multitude. So that just means a lot of people are already in heaven doing this singing. Uh, well, who are these people? Now, most commentators and students of prophecy believe that they are the tribulation saints that have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. Not to mention, of course, all the saints martyred for their faith throughout the history of the church, but primarily the tribulation saints. How do we know this? If we go back to Revelation chapter 7 and we read verses 9 and 10, this is uh, the first part of verse 9. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude. So there's that great multitude again, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. Notice they're not whispering. Crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God. Have we heard that somewhere? Right here in chapter 19. But this is chapter 7. Salvation belongs to, the God, to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then if you go down to verse 14, it says, And, sa- and I said to him, Sir, you know, so he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. So very clearly already now we know who this multitude is. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. O Lord... Today was 108. So, you see, you see what we got to look forward to? It's cooler over there. All right. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's a lot of tears in this life. A lot of tears. 
the last living uncle on my father's side passed away yesterday in California at the age of 93. A dear brother that Daniel knows, uh, minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, went home to be with the Lord yesterday as well. And while we can rejoice because we know where he's going to be, we mourn that loss. It's tears. We're pained by the actions of so many people, sometimes against us, sometimes not even aware that, that people do things or say things to us. But all kinds of things happen in this life. And God says, but folks, hold on. Because one day I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. And there's such a blessing to know that right now the Lord is catching every one of our tears. Every one of them. He bottles them up, the Scriptures tell us. Isn't that a wonderful God who cares about our hurts and our pains? And the pains of our loved ones and the pains of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through times of great struggle because they have certain family members that are suffering uh, uh, diseases and, and, and all kinds of infirmities and, 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 and they're, they're just burdened. But their comfort is found in the God who will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes. Well, now we get to this word hallelujah in our text. So let's go back to Revelation 19. As I said earlier, it comes from a transliteration into the Greek from two Hebrew words. Hallel, Hallel, H-A-L-L-E-L, if you want to write it down. Hallel is the Greek, or I should say the Hebrew word, which means praise. Hallel is to praise. And the last part of the word hallelujah is the word yah which actually is an abbreviation or a contraction, as it were, of the name Yah or Yahweh or Jehovah. It's just using the Hebrew letters that represent God's name. It's so sacred to the Jewish people, they don't pronounce it. So they don't call him Yah or Yahweh or Yah, uh, Jehovah. They, they actually will use the, the terms of his, uh, of his uh, titles. Uh, for example, Adonai, the, that means Lord. Uh, and uh, uh, Elohim, which means God, in, in a sense, uh, what He is. Uh, and Elohim, by the way, is a is a word that that uh, is a. Uh, um, uh, it, it speaks of uh, more than one. So we're talking about again. Elohim speaks of of God being one God in in those three persons that we've always talked about: the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, the three in one. Uh, so these are not just empty words. Hallelujah. You know, people say it all the time, sometimes mockingly. Other times they just say it ignorantly. But Christians should never say the word hallelujah vainly. We should never say it uh, haphazardly. What we're saying when we say hallelujah is praise to God. Praise to our Lord. Praise to our Master. And what we're told here is that 
it isn't, they, they aren't just empty words. They are an expression of the heart. They are an expression of the heart. I was reading a, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon this, this week, and, and it really touched me. It was really just a, a, a communion de- a meditation. And, and, but he, he based it on, a, on a, a, a portion of a psalm that, that says that God visited me in the night. And it, it, was, it was such a revelation in a sense that we sometimes read past that little phrase that God visits us. And we should really appreciate the visits of God. You know, when we hear that someone is coming to our house, man, we start scrubbing and cleaning and putting all the old newspapers and magazines and boxes and throwing them in the garage and trying to keep that door closed and nobody goes in there to see all this stuff, you know, and we start cleaning here and there because we got visitors coming. But how are we preparing for the visits of God? How, how, how precious that is. Especially when we're going through troubles and trials and we are calling out to God and He visits us. How precious is that moment? How precious is that time? You see, we have to get beyond the surface. We have to get beyond this, this idea that, well, it's just another thing to talk about. No, it isn't. It's, it's a visit from God. It's a visit from the God who created us. A visit from the One who knows us better than we know ourselves. And we need to see how precious that is. To say to God, Lord, praise be to You, is what we were singing about earlier tonight. How great is our God. And verses 2 and 3 of our text, as we'll just get there right now, tells us that they tell us that we are being, uh, that, that these these expressions are being shouted out to God in heaven. Look at Revelation 19, verse 2. For true and righteous are His judgments, because He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and He has avenged on her the blood of His servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, the second Alleluia now, mentioned in the destruction of the great harlot. And again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. The Lord will not only save His people out of their sin by His mighty hand, as He has saved us out of our sin by His mighty hand. But the Lord is not only going to save His people out of their sin by His mighty hand, but He is also going to pour out His judgment upon those who have rebelled against Him and those who will have put His people to death. God is going to judge them for it. This is why we should understand when God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not ours. It's His. Their judgment is, by the way, Her smoke rises up how long? Forever and ever. Their judgment is eternal. This is it. 
the Lord says, to some effect so we can understand it, I've had enough. I've had enough of sin. I've had enough of your hatred. I've had enough. I've given everyone an opportunity, but I've had enough. Now I judge. But he has extended, extended the bow of his, of his wrath. Extended. This is his mercy right now. Holding back more and more. But the more he holds back the bow of the arrow of his wrath, the stronger the last judgments will be. The further you pull that back, the stronger the arrow will fly. And looking at the judgments of God, they do seem brutal, even severe. And you know, you've got people even in the church today that say, how could a good God ever do this to people? It, it sounds relatively just and fair, doesn't it, to, to question God on it? But I'd be very careful. Because they're leaving out a lot of the story. They're leaving out a lot of the foundation to understand what's going on here. How could a good God? Well, first of all, He is just and righteous. He is holy, holy, holy. And He has every right to demand holiness from His creation. But He also gave His creation free agency to choose to do what is right so that none of us can say we were forced into sin. Look at the garden. Look at Adam and Eve. Look at the temptation. Where was Adam all along? Off to the side. And Eve was over there talking to the serpent. And the serpent deceived her. And Adam didn't say a thing that he was the one actually who knew what was right but did not act upon it. A choice. One reason some feel this way, you know, about this unfairness of God is because they're looking at things from an earthly, worldly perspective. They're looking at things from the wrong perspective. We were talking about perspective not too long ago in the book of Genesis on Sunday morning. Because you see, as these people stand before the Lord in heaven, the ones that we've been seeing here, they see His judgment as true and righteous simply because they have a heavenly perspective of the situation. God is holy. God is perfect. And when unrighteous man is before Him, God's actions can only be seen as just and perfect. The question to ask is not, why is your judgment so brutal, Lord? The question that should be asked is, Lord, why are you so patient and long-suffering with us? That's the question. God, why have you been so merciful? Or at least so, so long-suffering, so patient with us? Some look at God's patience as His approving of our actions. Not so. God hates sin every day, the Bible tells us. He hates sin every day. God doesn't, you know, first of all, God doesn't sleep, all right? So He doesn't get up in the morning and say, you know, today I think I'll 
Now I hate sin so much anymore. No, God is perfect. He always hates sin. He didn't create sin. All He ever created was good. And then others see it as not caring, as if God doesn't really care. Not so. And still others feel that God is unable to intervene. Not so. Listen, He sent His only begotten Son. How could that be not caring? So why then? Why is He so long-suffering? Why is He so patient? Well, Second Peter 3, verse 9. We all know this verse. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Can you understand that? Do you see God's tremendous love for us? By the way, that's one of the things that I didn't mention earlier. God is just and true and righteous and holy. But He's also love. God is love, the Bible says. Do you see God's tremendous love for us? Every time I look at the cross, I see God's love for us. Every time. I see God's love. God's desire for all to come to Him and receive the free gift of life that is found only in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's His desire for all to come. We know that not all will, but His desire has been that all would come. If a person refuses that gift, listen, if a person refuses this gift that is available to all, then they will be judged with a righteous judgment, getting only what they deserve. And for 2,000 years, the Lord has been patient and long-suffering. And as it was in the days of Noah, the time is almost up. And God's righteous judgment is about to be poured out. As Christians, we do go through some difficult times. Some more than others, I know. But the Lord is teaching us through them And showing us how to walk as He strengthens our faith so that we don't walk by sight. What are we supposed to walk by? By faith. Trusting the Lord. With every fiber of our being. With every breath that we breathe. Because He's molding us and He's shaping us in preparation for heaven. And do you know what the will of God is for you as you are going through all of these things? Do you know what the will of God is for you? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning with verse 16. It's a real long verse. You got it? Rejoice always. That's what makes it long. <laughs> Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. That's another long verse. Pray without ceasing. And I want you to notice the first word of verse 18. In, in everything, give thanks. 
in. Why is that significant? Because it doesn't say for everything. We don't want to give thanks for the news that we receive about cancer or about some great disease or tragedy or, 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 or some ominous occurrence. But we can give thanks in that situation. Do you see the difference? We don't praise God for, you know, we didn't praise God for 9-11. But we praise God in the circumstance. For this is the will of God. Notice, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks. Rejoice. Pray. Amen. Do not quench the Spirit. Verse 19. Verse 20. Do not despise prophecies, which is words coming from the Lord to us, as well as regular prophecies. Well, we're kind of studying tonight. We shouldn't despise any of that. Test all things. Are we testing all things that we hear? I, I know some, sometimes we, we don't test things. Uh, there have been times when there have been movements that go through the church and the first thing people do is they just jump on the bandwagon. They don't test the spirit of, of something going on even in the church. You need to test it. You know that holy laughter movement? That, that, was, a, that, was, just a, that was just a tool of the enemy getting in the church. Having people, you know, crawling up and down the aisles, barking like dogs. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. And Paul tells us that in everything give thanks and praise the Lord. Our whole perspective has to change from us to Him. That is a message that the church needs to hear today. The, the, the perspective has to change from us to Christ. And it gets us focused back on the only one who can help us in our times of need. So praise the Lord and walk by faith. Praise the Lord and walk by faith. We've got to move on here very quickly. Revelation 19, verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Now is the third. Hallelujah. From the 24 elders and the, and the four living creatures that we met back in chapter 4. And they say, Amen, Hallelujah. Remember I said that says, Let it be. Praise the Lord. Let it be. And praise the Lord. Two more groups are shouting praise to God. 
with a loud voice. The first group, as I said, the 24 elders who represent the redeemed of, of Israel and the church up until the time of the rapture of the church, believer, believers in Messiah, along with the four living creatures, will be around the throne of God, worshiping the Lord. In context to the previous verses, these two groups are affirming God's sovereign plans and purposes by saying, so be it. That's amen. Amen in the, in the Hebrew. So be it. Let the Lord be praised in all of His doings. Should we not be praising the Lord in all of His doings? Does God get anything wrong? Never. We should praise the Lord for God in all of what He does. In fact, in this third hallelujah, there is a realization of the greatness of God. There is this realization of the greatness of God. It corresponds to some degree to the usage of the term in its first mention when the Ark of the Covenant was installed in David's tent and a feast was held with connection to it. I'll just read a portion of 1 Chronicles chapter 6. I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 4. It says, And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Notice that he has appointed Levites to minister before the Lord, which is what? Worship. To lead and worship before the ark of the covenant to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel, to commemorate the Lord, to thank the Lord, and to praise the Lord. That's worship. And the ark was a reminder to Israel of the realization of God's greatness and of His majesty. So blessed is the believer who gets quiet each day. Listen to me. Blessed is the believer who gets quiet each day to read the Word of God, to pray in order that they might contemplate the greatness of our God. How great is our God and how great is His name. You see, to contemplate the greatness and the grace of God is to awaken gratitude. It is to awaken praise in every believer. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Read down just a few verses there in First Chronicles, down to verses 8 through 10. This is also a psalm. Later on we'll see it transferred into the psalms. But here in First Chronicles 16, verse 8, David says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, sing to Him, sing psalms to Him, Talk of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Let the hearts of those rejoice. Let your hearts rejoice who seek the Lord. Let your heart resound with praise. Let it be so. Praise the Lord. Let it be so. Lastly, there is the fourth hallelujah in, in, in our text for Christ's reign now. And that's in verses 5 and 6. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants and those who fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, 
the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent, all-powerful, the Lord our God who is all-powerful reigns. Notice, he, doesn't ha- he hasn't reigned in the past and, and, and now he's reigning in the present and he might reign in the future. No, our God reigns always. He has always reigned. He has always been sovereign. He has always been omnipotent. He's always been all-knowing. He's always been all-present. So first of all, from verse 5, it is thought that this is the voice of Jesus. Some people would believe that it's Jesus from the throne uh, saying that this is what needs to be done. It's possible. But it's more than likely an angel serving before the throne. And we know that because of what we'll see later on. Remember that one verse in verse 10 when, when the angel is saying to John, don't bow down to me. You know, so think about that for a moment. Uh, but it's, uh, it's more than likely an angel serving before the throne. But the encouragement, this is what matters. The encouragement is for all of heaven to join in worship. So we've, we've heard a great multitude already, and then more groups coming in, and then more groups coming in, and now it says, come on, everybody, worship the Lord in heaven. This final shout of praise comes then from the whole host of the redeemed. You know, we're told in Psalm 97, verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. He reigns. He's not campaigning. Our God is not a campaigner. There are enough campaigners in this world. Our God doesn't campaign. Our God reigns. Our God does not have to apply for any kind of job. He doesn't have to apply for any kind of position in this world. Our God reigns. You all understand that? And why not? Why shouldn't the earth rejoice? For centuries men have been praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, Thy kingdom come. And now that that prayer is being answered, His kingdom is coming. And, and, and the time for the reign of the King of Kings has come. The hallelujah time for heaven and earth is at hand. It is the hour for the King to be set upon His holy hill in Zion and to receive the uttermost parts of the earth for His possession. Think of that passage that we've studied in Psalm 2 where it says, Yet I have set my King on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my Son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for, for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. It is the very moment when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Which Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 verse 11, but this is the moment anticipated by all the redeemed. When Jesus came the first time, He was rejected and He was nailed to the cross. When He comes again, all men, rich and poor, high and low, 
all will bow in homage at his feet. And there's only one word that we can say. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I want to close with Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Because this was written by Paul to the church. And it is what we are to be doing and how we are to be living and how we are to be standing. He said, Therefore God also has highly exalted Him, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, well, we saw tonight that they will. (laughs) Of those in heaven and of those on earth, and even those under the earth, it says, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm just going to tell you now. I'm going to tell you now. Every tongue will confess Jesus. Whether they like it or not. It's like the old... Fram oil filter commercial. Pay me now or pay me later. As you're going to pay. In this sense, worship Him now because you will bow your knee. Whether in heaven, on earth, or in hell. And Christ is worthy. To receive all praise, all honor, and all glory. Amen? All right, next week we'll deal with the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.